Hi all, welcome to Rigged, the random idea generator cast, where we randomly roll out characters, story, and world-building elements, and craft them into a finely tuned tale. We value collaborative storytelling, especially that which comes from D&D and RPGs in general. So, we've decided to take random elements and craft a story. It can be the germ you use to write, an adventure hook for your campaign, or even the basis for your character's backstory. We don't care what you do with it as long as you enjoy it. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm your host, Matt. We are two-thirds of the Brothers McGill. And together, we'll be using dice and spreadsheets to tell you a story. Let's get rolling. The second episode of Rigged, we are building our world. We've already got our characters together. We're going to find all of the different aspects that we can to put them in a specific world. That includes uh, environment, conflict, and the MacGuffin. And for those of you that are, that are not in the know, the MacGuffin is basically just a plot device in the form of a goal or a desired object or uh, some other motivator that the protagonist pursues, often with little, little or no narrative explanation either. Now, the MacGuffin's importance to the plot is not the object itself, but uh, rather its effect on the characters and their motivations. So it's the journey, not the destination, essentially. Basically, yeah. So between last episode's character generation and this one, building the world itself, uh, we're going to have all of the ammunition for a nice little story arc. Uh, that we're going to spread out over the next two episodes after this uh, in what we call the narrative. Yeah, we're going to create a nice little adventure that you can use in your campaigns as well as springboard for your own narrative purposes. Welcome back to Rigged, folks. Episode two, our world building. We are going to roll for our environment, we're going to roll for our conflict, and we're going to roll for our MacGuffin, and then kind of go from there. We're going to brainstorm and, and build and see how things work together, kind of off the cuff, and then uh, and then kind of you collect those ideas to then bring into the next two episodes. Yep, we already have three characters. If you tuned in last week, um, you'll be able to hear how they fit into this environment that we're going to roll up today. And I highly suggest you tune in. And if you didn't tune in last week, where were you? Right? I mean, I guess you could always go back and listen. These two, there's no real need to do chronological. Although, by the time you finish this episode, you'll you'll pretty much understand what, what happened last episode. But go back anyway. Just subscribe and listen on repeat. Come on. Would you? All right. Matt, do you want to take the first roll? Uh, let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to roll a, a d20 for the environment. And that is a one. Ooh, forest. Okay. All right. I'm already seeing some synergy here. Mm-hmm. Um, our conflict. Conflict. Let me roll that one. That is also a d20. Yep. 20 choices for conflict here. That is an 18. Hired by a noble. Okay, cool. All right. And the last one is uh, the MacGuffin. Yep. Matt, tell us, t- roll, roll for our purpose. Okay. 
That's going to be a D10. And that is a six, which is the head of an enemy. Ooh. Okay. All right. So we've got our party is the human cleric of the grave domain named McCulloch, young adult, chaotic neutral, outlander background, with a blank book that refuses to hold uh, any sort of writing. On top of that, we have the wood elf warlock, who's a celestial warlock. Uh, His name is Merle Morris. That's my favorite name. Um, He's undead, chaotic good. Uh, He has a soldier background, and uh, he has a four-leaf clover that's pressed into the pages of a book on etiquette and manners. And we've got one more to round out the party. Yes, the uh, storm sorcerer human named Bradshaw with the secret gender, but... uh, Bradshaw is an elder. He is of the neutral alignment. Um, He is a charlatan, and he also has a silver teardrop earring that is made from a real teardrop. So, And then we also have the uh, relationship between these three characters is that they are enemies forced to work together, which kind of makes the MacGuffin, which is obviously the head of an enemy, that more interesting. Yeah. Although, because they're hired by a noble, they're obviously going to get the head of the enemy of the noble. That's true. So it doesn't have to necessarily be the a shared enemy for those three. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And and I need to correct. It's not the head of. It's the the. They're going to get the head of the enemy for the noble, but it's taking place in a forest. True. Hmm. I mean, there's there's plenty of opportunity for for enemies in a forest, though. Right, but why why would a noble want the head of anyone or anything in a forest? Like, I I imagine. I mean, I guess I'm I'm kind of pigeonholing. I think of a noble as someone in like a city, like a wealthy guy in a city. He could have an estate. Sure. Oh, he has an estate. Okay. And like. Uh, a pack of centaurs have moved in and they are uh, stealing his food or they're stopping him from hunting or something. So he wants the head of the centaur okay. leader to basically, to basically demoralize them. That's I'm not, I'm not cementing this. I'm just, yeah. I'm brainstorming. Here. There's some sort of an embargo, be it by centaurs, maybe by wood elves to, bring that back around to uh to merle so he would be an enemy he's the enemy of the of that party of three well either he's he might not even be the enemy but maybe someone that he knows someone that he is allies with i mean merle is undead so it there's a possibility that in a past life he was just a wood elf soldier Mm -hmm. and now maybe the rest of his regiment is has a conflict with this noble right oh okay so you're saying i'm thinking in terms of the enemies the enemies forced to work together apart sure yeah no i'm i haven't even touched on that one. Oh. <laughs> i've got it okay i've got it okay enemies forced to work together he he oh okay so mcculloch the grave cleric 
has promised to lay Merle to rest if he helps them do this. Okay. That's why their enemies forced to work together. Okay. So they're natural enemies, basically. Yeah, essentially. And 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 also because because the enemy in the forest that the noble is trying to fight or wants the head of or whatever is also wood elves. Yeah. That's why they, they have the wood elf in their party, but also the enemies because they're wood elves, but because he's also undead. Um, so that's kind of tiers of conflict. Yeah. Uh, what is, what would you say is Merle's relationship with McCulloch then is like if he's going to to lay Merle to rest, is is Merle opposed to that? Like, is he is it a an adversarial relationship where he doesn't want this to happen? My initial thought was that no, he definitely wants it. That's why he's involved. Okay, he's he's like he's reluctant undead. Okay, interesting. So he's a reluctant undead that is out healing maybe to make up for oh yeah i forgot that he's a healer oh man (laughs) i forgot about that part um yeah yeah maybe maybe okay 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 so he he became undead somehow yep and he just he wishes his soul were put to rest so he thinks the best way to to make sure that happens is he does everything all he he does the best that he can he's the the he helps everyone that he can in the meantime he's basically making up for for lost time so that when he does die he's he's swept off to 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 the great beyond that's why he's chaotic good because he'll help everyone exactly exactly if he sees if he sees like a a thief get like fall over and stub his toe when he's running away from stealing something, Merle will still go heal that stubbed toe. Yes. Even though he's, it's the toe of a criminal. It doesn't matter. It's someone in need. Yeah. And he's just chalking up point for the good, you know, the, the good place, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And McCulloch. So, Oh, okay. So why? Why would McCulloch be involved in bringing the head of an enemy to this noble? What's his connection to it? And I think it's, I think it should be a direct connection to Bradshaw, right? Yeah, because we got to get Bradshaw in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say before we get on to that, one last thing about Merle, I think that sure his. And this may not come out in the story at all, but the fact that he is trying to make amends and do things the right way, chalking up points in the win column, that um, that speaks to the fact that he has a book on etiquette and manners, and the four-leaf clover is his good luck charm, but it's also his bookmark to see what, yeah. what the next step is or what the, the next checkbox is. So he's out there trying to find a door to hold open or a, a a beggar to give coins to or something like that. 
Right. He's so scared of, it's like when you almost get into a car accident and then you're the best driver for like, like a week after he's, he's so scared. He was, he came so close to death. Yes. He saw what it could have been. So he's, he doesn't care what God notices. He doesn't care who, who, who brings him to whatever afterlife they're in charge of. As long as it's the good one, Yes, he's going to, he's going to attract the celestial who gives him healing powers. He's going to attract the God of luck. He's going to attract the God who, who is very polite, who holds doors for people. Yes. You know, he's, he's, it's the spray and pray. It's the shotgun method of, of trying to get into heaven, basically. Yeah, definitely. It's honestly, I, you could take the other two characters out of it. I could watch a whole series on Merle, just walking around doing random ridiculous good deeds just to try to get into to heaven. I know it sounds, it sounds very um, comedy of errors. Oh yeah. It's like, it, it's a British comedy without, without a doubt. It's, I was just thinking it'd be Rowan Atkinson. Oh yeah. That, you know what? I could see John Cleese with pointy ears doing it too. Very, a very young John Cleese oh, yeah, or yeah. a very young Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those the, when they were in their prime. Oh yeah, Monty Python era. Physical comedy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would be really good. I I would love to see that. Definitely. So we know, we know the relationship. I think we have fleshed out Merle very well. Yes. And we know his relationship with McCulloch. Yep. So we we kind of touched on the idea of why McCulloch is involved in this scheme or whatever and and we we think that it would tie in with bradshaw and i think that makes the most sense in terms of blanketing everybody making sure everybody is is uh accounted for yes what if okay how about they're being hired by a noble Mm -hmm. but what if uh bradshaw is more of the Scream a worm tongue variety of charlatan sorcerer. Okay. So maybe the noble made the order, but maybe the noble's order is on suggestion of Bradshaw. Maybe he's got to go along with them to, to make sure that it's carried out or something along those lines, but he just can't make that initial order. He doesn't have that that power in the eyes of the, of anyone really. But why would, why would McCulloch accept this assignment? Why would they do that in the first place? You know, that's a good question. Um, See, I, I think I, I'm, I'm still kind of partial to the idea of, this being like the test for the cult or the secret organization or whatever for McCulloch to like graduate into. Okay. So the noble, the noble hired the organization. We we could say the organization is magic users. Mm -hmm. Maybe magic isn't terribly common. So he hires these, they're essentially mercenaries or something. Yeah. So Bradshaw takes the job and says, hey, I need you, this is your moment to shine. And by the way, 
we're really putting you to the test because we're pulling in this undead wood elf. Yeah. No, I like that. I my hang up, I think, is just the the fact that you have McCulloch, who is the grave cleric, who's supposed to have the um, uphold the sanctity of of the dead, mm-hmm. and that maybe the process of of death and dying is there a a little internal conflict there when it comes to removing the head of an enemy yeah that's see that's that's the kind of gray area that's not super specific from what i read about the grave domain yeah is do they not i don't think they're against killing per se yeah it's more the abomination of death and life right yeah i i in terms of killing i think that's fine my my hang up in that regard is is removing the head of your enemy overkill is it desecration oh interesting so is that going against what he believes but does he have to compromise his beliefs to gain entry into this uh this organization i see i i see i have two points on that one the head of an enemy could be metaphorical you know he doesn't actually have to bring back the head of an enemy he could just it could just be like a, a kill order yeah you know um the other is how zealous are we making mcculloch mm-hmm. are they going to be doing death ceremonies and and making sure they're laid to rest or is it really just the prevention and extermination of undead and and things like that you know i think it could go either way definitely and especially because like we said in the first episode i mean at fifth level the grave cleric gets vampiric touch which is a necromantic spell, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's kind of makes you wonder. So there is a little bit of almost death worship in that, which you would think doesn't make you necessarily averse to, to death. And especially if you're using something like vampiric touch, that's not a natural death either. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's where I see that gray area thing, you know? Yeah. If, if that's the case, cutting somebody's head off is at least your worries. Yeah. 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 But he's, he's certainly not bringing anyone back from the dead. Nope. He's, yeah, I don't, it's curious. So I think we could, we could really just take it either way. Yeah. Um, and if we if we do really want to make that um kind of uh central to the conflict we can make him super super zealous and and the the rule of law and you don't like the the corpse is still still needs to be honored and things like that yep. instead of oh well once once i make sure the soul is moved off then it's done like it can be it can be super chill about it or, or really like uptight about it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It could just, he can just be the tip of the iceberg or he can be the whole iceberg. 
and oh vampiric touch is super interesting i just looked it up it's it's a third level necromancy the range of self so it's a melee yeah you do 3d6 necrotic damage and you regain half of that in hit points like you take their life that's so crazy yeah that's not a sanctity of of life thing doesn't feel like it pulling their life into yourself yeah and it's a concentration for up to a minute which means every time your turn comes up as long as you're holding that concentration you can make that attack again yeah so you can cast that and just hold that and keep getting 3d6 what's the average of 3d6 nine you can get nine hit points deal 20 up to just about 20 and get nine back yeah and and I think that can be that sort of twisted, um, like, well, I have to be alive to make sure that the sanctity of life is preserved and that death is honored. Oh yeah. So you, I'm taking your life, and you're, and in in turn, you're honoring death by dying for the cause. You know, oh, that yeah. could be like the super zealot side of it. Yeah, that's I like that part of it just because it's. It's so out there. It gives them even more of a purpose than what you would initially think. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and granted, we're not we're not doing levels or anything, so it's not like he'll will determine. Oh, he he won't have this spell or whatever. I mean, we can build it however we want. Sure. But it's it's just an interesting way to 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 look at the grave cleric because otherwise, it's like. I mean, it's basically any cleric who who just wants to make sure the dead is honored, right? Yeah, basically. It's, you know, you're... It's the difference between a vampire and a funeral director. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I can see that. The, the thing is, I mean, even if he's... We're not, like you said, we're not doing levels, so vampiric touch may not even come into play. Right. But the application of vampiric touch, like, he would already have that uh, that mindset that he would have that zealous nature where you're going to die for the cause of keeping me alive or uh, your death is, is noble and honorable because I'm killing you. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you just got shanked in the street, sucks to be you, yeah. but you should be honored that I'm killing you. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? I will say something nice about you at your passing. Yeah. So that, you go to the to where you need to go, but my goal and my my life force is being renewed with every drop of blood of yours that hits the ground. In McCulloch's mind, it's a win-win situation. Oh yeah, like nobody's losing in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's the bounty hunter that likes to kill almost. Yeah, but no, but the but the bounty doesn't get anything out of that. Well, that's true. Not that the victim of McCulloch really is, but it, in, at least in McCulloch's mind, they are. That's true. Yeah. Good point. Is Bradshaw kind of feeding that zealot nature? Like he's his idea is to kind of create this war machine almost out of this guy. Mm. He is that charlatan. Maybe he needs that enforcer or that someone to be the muscle, I guess, for him. 
Right. And this is kind of that last test to get into the cult, to to get into the, the group. And it just so happens that, you know, this this job came up, that the noble had something for them to do, that they could all kind of, it all just falls into place. Yeah. Yeah, convenient timing. Yeah. I think maybe we need to try and figure out what is the organization or at least like how big is the organization? Yeah. Is it small enough that getting someone of, of McCulloch's very kind of specific skill set, like that's, that's a good move. Bradshaw really wants that. So he wants to, to kind of take him and kind of indoctrinate him. Yeah. I like that idea that it's, uh, that Bradshaw sees something in McCulloch that he needs, that he he will use to uh, to further the cause of the group, or maybe it's a, a competing group where you know he needs someone like McCulloch on his side. This is the McCulloch is the gun that he's bringing to the knife fight. Yeah, McCulloch is a rare and valuable tool. Yeah. But nothing more like I, I, the way I see it is Bradshaw does not. If McCulloch didn't have this skill set, McCulloch would be useless to Bradshaw. Yeah. And what if, what if that has something to do with the book? What if uh, McCulloch's skill set and his kind of disregard for human life is rationalized away because every time he kills someone he writes their name in the book and it just disappears so the 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 guilt that one would feel from killing is gone that's a sign from their god that they're doing the right thing it's a sign that the bodies are not stacking up the body count is not adding up because the names aren't adding up exactly he's there's no guilt there's no shame because there's no record yeah and and maybe maybe mcculloch is looking for that one name to show up i don't know maybe that's too much maybe that's getting a little too convoluted yeah it would be a good story hook but it might be a little much for the time we have allotted yeah but it's something that is something i would i would like to see developed for sure because i like that that angle of it yeah i think we just inadvertently fleshed out mcculloch way more than i expected us to yeah once once we hit merle as as good as we did i thought we were going to kind of breeze through the other two but yeah there's some very interesting characters here and i think bradshaw is really the only one that it doesn't have he doesn't feel as uh as real as the other two just yet. Yeah. But I mean, in a sense, being the, um, the older guy, like in every heist movie, there's that older guy yeah. who doesn't talk and who's like the boss and he knows what he's doing. That's what, that's what Bradshaw feels like to me. Sure. Like they'll kind of, they'll, they'll be aloof. They'll be quiet. They'll be kind of off to the side, but they're watching everything. They're aware of everything. And in the end they'll turn on them. Yeah. Because that's what that's what the, the old pro does. He's moving the chess pieces. He's just doing it quietly. 
Yeah, right, right. You didn't know you were playing chess with Bradshaw, but you were. Yeah, exactly. I think the the instead of using the centaurs, I think pulling in the wood elves, like you suggested, maybe the wood elves have have moved in, or oh no, you know what? Maybe the the noble wants to build on this big tract of land, but the wood elves live there. Okay, I like that. So they won't let him chop down the trees. They won't let him move in and hunt and all of that. Sure, of course. So basically, much like the idea with the centaurs is the noble wants the head of the leader of the elves to to make the rest of them scarper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once you have, you know, big cheese wood elf, everybody else is just kind of going to scatter and make their way somewhere else. Yeah, you always take down the boss. Yeah, I like that. It's a simple enough story hook where all these other more complex character narratives can really begin to flesh out. Yeah, even in our even in the limited time that we have, we can see we may be able to pull in a, even just glimpses of these pieces to really kind of round out these characters through this journey basically. Yeah, the the initial conflict is fairly linear in nature. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if we were to to flesh it out into an actual, you know, novel or an adventure path or something like that, you'd have all these other things, all the the stuff about the blank book and and all that would be in to a much greater degree, but at least this gives us a chance to really uh throw bits and pieces in there to flavor it up a lot. Yeah. And just, even if we never see these bits and pieces, we'll be going into that story, knowing little bits and pieces of their backstory. And, oh, yeah. and, and you, you guys will be hearing, knowing those little pieces of that backstory. So it's, it's even just easier to, to imagine the character. It's easier to visualize. Yeah. And to see how they would react and things like that. And I think, I just want to go back one, uh, one more time to McCulloch. I think he's totally signed. At first I thought there'd be conflict between him going to basically slaughter a bunch of wood elves, but it could tie back into his zealotry that, well, they're going to get slaughtered anyway. Even if they don't hire us, they're someone's going to go kick them out. So it might as well be me to make sure that they're laid to rest. Yes. If they're going to be exterminated, I'm going to do it the right way. Yeah, it might as well be me. Yeah, you hire a, a bunch of orcs and they're never going to reach that promised land like I'm going to uh, to get them there. So yeah, it's a right. he has a very noble way of thinking in that regard. Yeah, you, you don't send a, a worshiper of Grumsh to do to do a grave cleric's job, as they say. No, I, that's exactly what they say. Uh, I, I, anything else you want to throw in there? I think that's, that is a really tasty little, uh, base of between the characters and the, the kind of the whole story ideas that we've got rolling for the narrative. Yeah. I, I don't think I have anything to add. I think everything has been said and it's, it's going to be a very interesting story. I think the characters in this one are just so fleshed out and so 
advanced for uh, what you would expect from an hour's worth of, of planning, it's going to make for a page turner for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I think they all have their own roles. They all have their own goals. They all fit into it in a specific way. I don't see any overlap. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it, it could prove really interesting depending on what roles we get in terms of the narration uh, and what, what you throw out there in the first seven minutes versus what I pick up after that. You know, I think, I think we could see a good little story come out of this. Yeah, definitely. I'm very interested to see what the roles have to say about uh, the various steps within the story, because I feel like I know these characters well enough where it's not going to be as much of a hurdle as you would expect. Yeah, nor with the relationship that we have with all of them, it won't be a trite, simple, straightforward story or resolution for that matter, I think. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some some very real consequences I can see between these three that somehow, some way, we're going to build a a one-hour narrative that, I mean, I already feel I like these characters a lot already, so I can only imagine what how I'm going to feel at the end of an hour. Yeah, we're not going to see a 100% happy ending, not necessarily for everyone anyway. Oh, no. No, I highly doubt that. And I think the most frustrating part for me is that we have one, two, three, four, five. We have six random roles happening in the, in the storytelling. So I can't, I can't sit and think, oh, this would be good if this happens. This would be good if this happens. We just can't plan. There's no way to plan for a story. It's, it's no. everything is on the fly. And that's, when you do feel a connection for the characters and when you, even when it's only been what 45 minutes to an hour, we've built these characters, we've fleshed them out so much. Like you said, I feel for these characters and not knowing what's going to happen to them. Yeah. Even though we're going to be the ones telling the story, it's like us watching a serialized television show or something. We just, we don't know. No. And that's the fun part. And it's also the, the part that really kind of makes you nervous because there are so many different permutations here that it could go way off the rails in a direction we never expected, but it's whatever the the path is, it's going to be an interesting story. And it's something that you should definitely tune into for the next two weeks. As if that wasn't enough. I just want to really throw the, the cherry on top of all six of our narrative roles, there is a critical fail option and a critical success option, as well as multiple options in between. So no matter how good everything is going, if one of us rolls a one on that D20, it's game over. Or potentially game over. It's pretty gosh darn disastrous. Um, So the stakes could not be higher, I guess, we're saying, for, um, for McCulloch, Merle, and Bradshaw. The fun part is, regardless of what that dice says, we have to make it work. So that's another part of the fun for everybody listening, as they get to literally listen to us sweat. Right, yeah. See how we how we pull it out. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. I like I like where we're going. Yeah, it should be good. That's a week away. 
come back, tune in then um, for the first half. And then after that, we'll have our conclusion a week after that. Really easy. Same time, same place. Yeah. As, as long as you're subscribed, you don't have to sweat. It's going to come out the same day every week and you're, you're good. So just, just subscribe. I mean, that's all there is to it. It's a button click. How many buttons do you click every day? <laughs> that, there you go. Put that into perspective. Exactly. If you're not subscribed already, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm ashamed for you. <laughs> and I think that is a very positive note. Come on back. Listen <laughs> to us. Tell the story. You've already listened this far. Don't tell me you're not invested either. We'll see you in a week. And then uh, we'll start all over again two weeks after that. How's that sound, Matt? Sounds good. I can't wait. All right. See you guys in a week. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to Rigged, the Random Idea Generator cast. You can find me at ogscomics.wordpress.com. You can find us, as well as other casts in the Feckless Momes family, by heading on over to fecklessmomes.com. You can reach out to us at the site or directly by email at momes at fecklessmomes.com. Please, if you do like the show, rate and review us wherever you catch our casts. Subscribe while you're there, sneak onto your friends' phones, and subscribe there too. Rigged is a production of the Feckless Momes Audio Network. It was hosted by Matt and Nick McGill. It was produced by Nick McGill. Logo art by Matt McGill. You can find links to the materials we use in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.